and welcome back to Folksy. I'm so glad that you have managed to find your way back over hill and dale through the fog and mist past my night critters to join us here around the campfire. Yay. Um, Anyway, I'm going to get right into introducing my guest because I'm very, very, very excited that she has wandered my way. Um, I'm really stoked to introduce Cassie Keat. Hi, Cassie. Hello. (laughs) Yay. Oh, my goodness. Cassie Cassie is both a a friend of the pod and a actor and directrix and also a longtime horror fan whose feature film, Scream Therapy, premiered at Los Angeles Dances with Films Festival this past summer. Congratulations. It's no small feat to make a movie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, yeah, no, we're just we're so stoked to have you here. Uh, mostly because you just came back from shooting a, a low-budget horror movie in the middle of nowhere, and we're going to talk about my favorite low-budget horror movie in the middle <laughs> of nowhere. Would you like to introduce what we're talking about today? Today, we are going to be talking about The Blair Witch Project. Oh, yeah. The OG. Not the OG, yes. 2016 remake. The Which, 1999. Yes, the 1999 original Blair Witch Project. Although I will say, <laughs> I think I texted you. Yeah, I definitely texted you earlier this week being like, hey, so also it's not on uh, uh, HBO. It is the 2016 because that's just... <laughs> The Blair Witch Project, or excuse me, that's just the Blair Witch. Uh, Not even the, it's just Blair Witch. And I think sometimes that's how this film is referred to. Um, But of course you get like 10 minutes in and there's a drone. Yeah, Yeah, it's, I, I hadn't watched, uh, I hadn't rewatched the Blair Witch, like the OG in a minute. Um, But I do remember last year I came home and my roommate at the time was watching it with his girlfriend for the first time. But they were watching it for free on freebie. So there were like ads popping oh, up. No. <laughs> so the two of them were like horrified. They had never seen it before. And then, you know, it would be like, Josh, where are you? And then it'd be like, pretty kitty litter. And you should do this. And they'd just be like, ah, wait, whoa, what the fuck? Oh, wow. Yeah, that is such a different type of uh, uh, cinematic whiplash. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was very funny just to hear them be like, what do you mean he kicked the map in the river? And then if you use Tide, all of your stains will be gone. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Yeah, I wonder what the the algorithm, the, the ancient algorithm picks up. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for something like that, it's always fun. I always get a lot of ads for uh, geriatric care and uh, antidepressants. <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> I, I I don't. It's, I'm trying to think. What are my ads? I feel like it's usually something about a car, but like I don't give a handful of craps about cars. So I don't know why they keep, they're like, get a Ford. I'm like, I don't want a Ford. And they're like, why would you need a second car? Why, why don't you let America's sweetheart, Sydney Sweeney, tell you about fixing up her own Ford so you can go get a Ford? You know what? I do enjoy that commercial, but not for car reasons. (laughs) Very fair. Like I, I, Sydney Sweeney with a wrench. I, I just put yeah. it on mute. I'm like, thanks. No, <laughs> I get it. Yeah, exactly. No, absolutely. I do love a, a blonde working on a car. Uh, <laughs> but that's a, <laughs> that's a personal thing. Um, yeah, now that I think about it, 
maybe my algorithm is correct. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Again, the ancient algorithm, it knows us better than we know ourselves. <laughs> For better or worse. Um, our ancient algorithm that has been around since around the time that we're actually about to talk about. Um, now, before we begin, uh, would you be so kind as to give an offering to my campfire? Indeed. Uh, I, I, I'm happy to offer the um, the Raising Cane's uh, chicken <laughs> tender meal. Oh, I love that. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. while chicken is desired, I do also have a question that perhaps will feed this fire a bit. Indeed. Uh, yes. Um, so I remember when you came back from shooting Scream Therapy in the desert, you had all of these crazy production stories. What was your favorite story about making a low budget horror movie in the middle of nowhere? Oh, my God. It's so it's so hard to like to pick and choose because we were. We were out in Wonder Valley, which is, um, you know, when you go to Palm Springs and it's like civilization and then you go a little bit further into Joshua Tree and it's slightly less civilization, but there's still like, you know, a little bit of a town there. Uh-huh. And then beyond there, yeah. you get to 29 Palms and that's when things are getting spotty. You know, you've got like an occasional restaurant, an occasional drugstore. We were in Wonder Valley, which was one step further, um, where there is nothing. Like, closest hospital was probably 35, 40 minutes away. Uh, The closest bar was, like, there was, there's one bar called the Palms in the middle of Wonder Valley Desert. And it's the only bar for, like, 40 miles. (laughs) See, you are speaking my language because that sounds like where I grew up. I grew up where, like, the the grocery store was 40 minutes away if, and, you know, if there was going to be a snowstorm, like, everyone bum rushed it because you could (laughs) for weeks at a time. And we had one bar... It was the Willow Creek bar. It had a giant like pioneer uh, um, uh, wagon on top of it. So you could see it across the entire town. And it was the only bar. uh, And I remember it vividly because they would allow 18 and over to come on karaoke night. And they would mark you with a Sharpie on your hand as like an X. So, of course, like when I was uh, uh, going through one of my more youthful phases, shall we say. (laughs) Um, I would just bring a Sharpie with me and like mark my hand so that way I could have a beer and do karaoke. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's really no way though. that they didn't know. They had to know that you were like a teenager, but like, what are they going to do? There's nothing to do in these tiny towns. Absolutely nothing. No. <laughs> yeah. And if you're hanging out there surrounded by other people, you know, hopefully you're not like, I don't know, shooting up in the alleyway. And maybe they're like, you know, there's better, there's better things. Oh, yeah. No, drugs are farther away than the grocery store. So like, unless, yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> finding your drug guy, Jesus, uh, unless you know somebody who's got like a meth camper hookup anyway. <laughs> um, but, but so, yeah, so you really experienced, I, I guess, like kind of like, the story of it is that you you've really experienced this kind of isolation in a way that I think a lot of Americans uh, really kind of don't realize still exists in this mm-hmm. country. You know, they they talk about it a lot in this film, but very specifically, you know, um, there are still just these pockets where where if you get lost, you're you're good. 
you might be a little bit fucked. Oh, um, a little bit fucked. For <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, uh, uh, kind of with all of this, like, I guess we should dive in because I think that you and I are very excited about this uh, to discuss the absolute legend that is the 1999 film, The Blair Witch Project, written and directed by Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez, starring Heather Donahue, Michael Williams, and Joshua Leonard. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with the Blair Witch Project, um, you know, it's a found, uh, it's kind of like the most like famous found footage uh, uh, movie of, at this time, I would say. I'm yeah, it's sort of revolutionized. One. Yeah, like other than Cannibal Holocaust, I'm, which isn't technically a found footage film. <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah. just horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely crazy. But found footage tells the tale of these three film students, Heather Donahue, Joshua Leonard, and Michael C. Williams. They use their real names, which I love, um, who travel to Burkittsville, Maryland, to collect documentary footage about the legend of the Blair Witch. Over the course of several days, the, student, the students bleh, interview uh, townspeople and kind of like gather and learn about the strange things happening in the woods around the town. The project takes a frightening turn when the trio lose their way in the woods and begin hearing noises at night, leading them to believe that they may not be entirely alone. If you have not seen The Blair Witch Project and this intrigues you, now is the time to turn back. If not, and you're into it, take a step closer to the fire, baby, because here we go. Yay. <laughs> Join <laughs> us. <laughs> well, I'm so excited because before we can even really like dig into the actual film, um, you know, we get to talk about one of my favorite dumb things, which is creative film marketing. <laughs> oh, my God. And yeah. this is this is like the pinnacle. This of yeah. Of yeah. online film marketing. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. Because the internet was still pretty freaking new, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like I, I equate, you, you know me, I love like, I love the See Paris Die campaign. Barbenheimer is another one for the books that we've just had. Yeah. Um, and, but, but the Orson Welles, when uh, William Randolph Hearst, like was pulling advertising from Hit, uh, from seeing from people who were going to show Citizen Kane in theaters, and he was like, right. "Nobody should see this movie." Anything like that. Orson Welles very famously went, "Show it in tents," uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and I kind of put the Blair Witch Project up there with "Show it in tents" because the the marketing for this project was like a turducken putting a folk horror film as the focal point of a grassroots cultural movement thus mm -hmm. turning the film into a legend in film history so like it's it's really nuts do, do you remember any of the marketing for this when it came out um i do because you know uh okay i grew up in arkansas you know right there in the bible belt so we were hearing um like i think i heard from my parents who had heard oh my gosh there's this horrifying movie Yes. That was made, um, <laughs> that was found, and these three kids are dead. Yeah. And, my, my, and like, my, you know, internet was brand new. And so people only knew what they had heard. And it was probably on the news. And like, there was a lot of confusion about whether or not it was real. And so the first thing um, I heard was like, oh my gosh, there's a movie that came out where the three people who made it died in the woods and they found all their footage. And uh, I jumped on my computer 
and was just and immediately went to the website. Yes. Because, well, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't tell. I didn't know if it was real or not. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, these people are really missing. Like, what happened? What happened? Because I I loved that kind of stuff. Like I lived in a I lived in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is like a, a the biggest town in Arkansas, but that's not saying a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was still very much just like, oh my gosh, if this could happen there, it could happen here. And so it scared me in, in a way that like, it, it gets your imagination going. And so I immediately went to the website and started looking up all these people and then Googling, except we didn't have Google then. What no, it was like a Jeeves situation, if I recall. Yeah, I, I'm sure <laughs> I asked Jeeves, like, is Blair Witch Project real? Is Heather Donahue dead? And, uh, you know, I'm sure Jeeves was like, oh, dear, not again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I'm sure he got a lot of that guff at this point in time because um, sure. I don't know how much you know about, like, the crazy history that went into, like, the actual marketing of this. Um, because when it premiered at Sundance, literally the... Um, the, the directors like got up there and they told people to go to the website. That was like the first thing that they did. And then it started to like come out around like Maryland that missing persons leaflets had been distributed to local newspapers for them to right. run of the three kids. And again, all of this sent you back to the website. And like we're kind of talking about, this is 1999. The website is, st- or not the website, excuse me, the internet is still pretty new. And so like messages or message boards and like chat rooms became really, really huge. And then I don't know if you know about this because this was my introduction to the Blair Witch, which is that they released a fake documentary on the Sci-Fi channel. Yes. <laughs> and here, yeah. and- Here's the thing. I watched it. Me too. <laughs> yes, I watched it. And I was like, so it's real. Because I had never heard of a freaking fake documentary because yeah. I was, what? how old was I? I was like 11. Yeah, like it's it's absolutely nuts to think that this was kind of part of it. And I love that they actually reference it in the film, but they say like, I saw a documentary on the Discovery Channel or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so specific because if you actually do that extra click to look up where it, it premiered it again it's the sci-fi channel uh, uh which is uh, you know kind of similarly to a lot of uh channels over the years con kind of back and forth with like their their witch hunting shows and reality shows and kind mm. of put in there but i remember during this time because this was like my friday night is that like me and my pals ordered a pizza we would play risk and we would watch whatever was on the sci-fi channel friday movie block that night um, mm-hmm. and so like this was like a random one because i i too grew up in a very conservative household that was like horror no you will run <laughs> order um uh uh you know <laughs> which i think explains a lot about me but sure. uh, same yeah. yeah my my folks are always like wait what you want to watch scream and i'm like yes i do <laughs> oh yes whereas i was told that's that there's satan's stuff um so i got to sneak oh, away no, they, were to do it with happy. they were Ooh. happy about it <laughs> and now i mean even as an adult i'll they're they're like hey what are you doing tonight and i'm like oh i'm gonna go to uh to hollywood forever cemetery and watch a horror movie with my friends <laughs> bye <Yeah. laughs> and they're just like oh my god our daughter is so weird but god they they love me so i'm lucky there yay there you go (laughs) 
Um, but but yeah, like all of this stuff that kind of went into the idea of creating this misinformation, because the whole marketing campaign wasn't about getting you to actually see the movie. It was about making you talk about it. And in order mm-hmm. to talk about it, you had to see the movie. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, I, I believe like kind of like the last of their ad work is, or I'm trying to remember what it was. It was a magazine ad in Variety. And I want to say that like, the whole ad was just blairwitch.com and then the number of hits they had gotten to date which was like something in like the 20 million at oh. that point in time yeah so like this was kind of the cultural phenomenon that went into this and creating this folklore for this folk horror film mm-hmm. so so this is why i just uh i will constantly always love kind of like what this did in the moment because it's you you can have that moment you can have that kind of like reminiscence with a film uh and yet it still has incredible staying power even without that whole experience Mm -hmm. and just i love it i absolutely love it so all the marketing around this has done an incredible job of kind of like painting this folkloric picture in america um, you know, we, we've definitely had, you know, American folk horror films before, but I, I do think that this is one of the most famous because very specifically, you know, they, they immediately drop you off in like, um, you know how like New York is, is a character in Sex and the City, you know, like the unwritten character in Sex and the City. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. The woods. As slutty and beautiful as she is. Oh, and speaking of slutty and beautiful, let's talk about the wilderness of Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> I do love a good slutty woods. Um, and so, and so, yeah, you know, it's, it's absolutely insane to see you know it seems like anyone who sets up shops in these woods is doomed in some way either by the witch's hand or by something else uh, mm-hmm. have you ever been lost in the woods before by the way um i avoid the woods at all costs because i have such a deep resounding fear of getting lost in the woods that's wild slash i love that because fear is subjective and that's the reason why i don't go in the ocean i have yeah (laughs) i i don't go in the ocean either because it's it's an environment inhospitable to humans and it's full Mm -hmm. of monsters and you'll die within 48 hours if you're stuck like no 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 no. oh yeah no 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 we've never been to the bottom and everything inside it wants to be dead i want you know (laughs) but i i I also think growing up in arkansas i i grew up quite near um you know near the ozark mountains and uh, you know you hear stories you hear stories about things that happen in the woods and people go in and they never come out and i like even if you lived in the freaking plains of of middle america You've heard stories about things that happen in the woods. And I think that is why Blair Witch is so effective, is that even if you don't live anywhere near the woods, you're afraid of the freaking woods because you know that there's stuff out there, even if it's just wild animals or whatever, just the elements itself that are dangerous. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, you know, one of the things that I always think about when I think of the woods is um, pitch black. I think I've told you this story before. Have I told you about my snowmobile story? I know I've told you about the cougar. <laughs> I, you've definitely told me about the cougar. I'm not sure about the snowmobile. 
Oh, this is wild. Okay. So, so one of the jobs that I worked at, um, you know, growing up in the mountains of Colorado was uh, at a ranch and between where my family's home was and the ranch was like, let's call it a 10 minute drive through the Mm -hmm. woods. And when I say the woods, I mean, the woods right next to the Rocky mountains. So it's everything like you said, you know, there's, there's animals. The mountain lion was in fact in these woods at one point in time, it chased me on a different vehicle. Um, (laughs) But I was known in my family during the winter, we had to use snowmobiles to get back and forth during the winter because it was too thick of snow, you know, to, to take the cars um, or any kind of vehicle back and forth without getting stuck. And I was known in my family as being the guy who could always short a spark plug. I have no idea why (laughs) (laughs) it is one of my many constant curses to bear. But I remember we had all been over on the property. My mom and dad hopped on the snowmobile and they were heading back. And I hopped on the one that I was using and we started going and spark plug died. And Ah. I'm in the middle of a path technically. But I remember at this time, just because when the the spark plug died, the lights on the snowmobile went out. Mm. And I held my hand directly in front of my face. And that was the first time I realized that I had experienced pitch black. Because there was no ambient light, there was nothing. And I had this moment of realizing that my parents were, were I couldn't see where they were. They right. were much farther down the trail than I was. And I was probably about five minutes into the drive. So I was in the middle of this little 10-minute car drive, but I mm-hmm. had no idea which way to go. I had no idea how to turn back. I had no idea how to move forward. And just your brain short circuits in that moment. Oh, absolutely. I, they, they would have been able to find me pretty quickly because the screams that I would have let out of my body, like from, (laughs) from like, you know, that guttural part, just the deep down of like, if I don't like, I, I wouldn't even know I was screaming. I would face the sort of, I would look into the abyss and just give in until someone shook me like, oh, my God, it's been 30 seconds. Calm the fuck down. Oh, my God. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Oh, my gosh. And can you imagine if there was also a witch? <laughs> the thing is that if you're in the woods, then there probably fucking is a witch. I fully, I believe that any wooded area it has probably has a witch. You know I, what? You're probably not wrong because, like, even this small section of woods has like so much shit going on in it because we've got yeah what do we what do we have we have uh, uh, Ellie Kedward who is the Blair Witch or is like the ghost of Ellie Kedward from like the late 1700s who uh, uh, is accused or children accuse her of luring them into her home to draw blood I think is like the crazy legend of it all and so like she's found guilty of witchcraft banished from the village during a particularly harsh winter presumed mm-hmm. death. By midwinter, all of her accusers, along with half of the town's children, have vanished. Right. Uh, um, and so, like, you know, that's kind of like where the curse of of the Blair Witch, you know, kind of co- comes from. And then we have, what's the other? We have Coffin Rock, where five mm-hmm. men were found eviscerated and displayed in a circle together. And then when people came back to retrieve the bodies, they were gone. But the evidence of death, they say, was like everywhere. 
and then we have Rustin Parr. Rustin Parr. Rustin fucking Parr. Uh, um, who apparently the name is an anagram for Rasputin, which I love. Love that. I know. Yes. What fun. Um, but I, I remember Rustin Parr like so vividly because he first appeared in the Clerks of the Blair Witch documentary mm-hmm. as like an old man on death row giving his last interview before being like executed for the murders of seven children. Um, yeah, that's, that stirs. That stirs a deeply buried memory. <laughs> oh, shenanigans. From yeah. watching that as a child. Yeah. Like, this film, in so many ways, like, again, like, everything from a witch to a child murderer, we we hearken in between all of these elements that are so... Uh, America loves a true crime story, uh, because Absolutely. America loves to control a narrative. But <laughs> Um, but you know, and that's just it is that we've created, even just within these three things that have happened within the woods, we've created three very different potential stories and endings for our three lovely filmmakers. (laughs) Yeah. With, with a actual potential fourth one, because when they're talking to Mary Brown, Mm, yeah, Mary Brown, they're like, oh, wow, that old lady's crazy because she's like, yeah, I woke up and there was this thing covered in coarse hair. And they're like, oh, so she's crazy. But then they get out into the woods and they're like, oh, wait, Mary Brown, she told us that there were these collections of rocks and Mary Brown was right. So then you kind of have to be like, oh, shoot. Okay. Yeah. So is there some coarse hair covered monster wandering around here as well? And we have no idea. But she was right about the rocks. And so that gives us this bizarre potential fourth way for them to die. It's just it's a it's a prism of of (laughs) destruction. Um, and, and yet at the same time, like the characters are so simple, but their fears are so complex and very universal. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this is like, I, I love these characters. I love Heather a lot. I think she's kind of a forgotten final girl of this era, uh, because she doesn't make it. But, yeah, um, that's you know, true. Yeah. But, but no one at any point in time in this film for, for a filmmaking crew of three, Heather is very like type a demanding <laughs> you know yes. josh who is very laid back and says he knows how to use all of this equipment and he kind of like half knows how to use this equipment and then mike is impatient which i kind of love because this is kind of the worst group product of all time <laughs> 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 with that in with these personality types like in mind and they think they're going on what is supposed to be a 20 minute walk as well that's something right. yeah like 20 minutes 20 minutes into the woods is supposed to be where they like first record and then it's going to be you know this um this the cemetery that Heather definitely definitely knows exactly what Oh it 100%. Is. I absolutely 100%. know where it is and then she's like yeah I mean it I, there was like a moment where and you got the second she goes I mean yeah there was a moment and I'm like oh yeah you're dead you're you guys are fucked you're it's done it's do done a- Oh yeah, no, they they do a really good job kind of showing again, like what what makes this film so complex and so interesting is that not only are they pissing off the Blair Witch as they enter the woods, but if you were a filmmaker, they're kind of pissing off you <laughs> as, <laughs> as as they move forward. Because, you know, for a documentary, and they mention it all the time throughout, which is why are we filming right now? 
You right. Know, for, for a film that's very famously like this found footagey kind of thing, Heather is just kind of running the camera and saying like, oh, well, we'll take this, you know, it'll it'll be fine. We're going to be glad we had this footage later. And the answer is why, you know, do we need footage of her and her friends, you know, smoking pot in a motel room and drinking? And mm-hmm. the answer is how serious of a filmmaker kind of do you see yourself if this is what you're spending a lot of battery and a lot of a lot of film time? Uh, uh, kind of doing. Yeah, like if you if you only had the sixteen millimeter black and white footage, the the of them like being serious, you can't see that I'm doing finger quotes like serious filmmakers. Then the movie itself would only be like what fifteen minutes long. Yeah, absolutely. because the rest of it is them on these extra like their b-roll cameras being like oh okay well you know that's why whenever something really spooky happens she's like get the get the better camera i i want to capture it on the better camera and so it it almost like narratively it gives an excuse for them to be like no no no, it's okay because they're they're not using the fancy camera film they're using the way less expensive less important cameras and so your brain kind of goes oh yeah okay that makes sense and it lets the narrative thread continue yeah absolutely and yeah i i think that that's just really clever writing that they're like yeah no okay we've got this differentiation between the special camera which you know captures like you know this is our important filmmaking and then us just being goofballs it's it's kind of like this again kind of going back to the folklore of it all it kind of becomes Mm -hmm. this moment where it's like this is the movie but this is the story and and having that separation like you said is really smart i think a lot of impressions that were made off of this movie also was that you can just take a camera and go out into the woods and just film stuff which obviously is not true there's a lot of planning that goes into it and that's also some of the pitfalls that they continuously come across is that this was not a scouted shoot they don't really know how to use the nice camera very well because that's why they right. use a lot of their footage with mary <laughs> um, yeah, that's i and now that I have made like a film and it, we were, you know, like I said, out there in the middle of the freaking desert, yeah. thank God we, we just really had that one location in the desert. And then um, there was one other day where we thankfully got to film during the day, but it was this, uh, these, they're called wonder domes Ooh. and they're built out in the middle of the freaking desert. And Ooh. um definitely not legal <laughs> but they're um they're they're really fascinating looking and you like you can't even really see them if you're like if you were had an aerial shot it it you wouldn't really notice them but they're just these giant pits that are dug out in the middle of the desert and then have a dome on them and um the one that we were using is it had a lot of uh like mother nature stuff a lot of like uh like a lot of wiccan things in it and we were like oh that's really fantastic and they're and they're created by a wonderful artist named Lindsay anderson and she like she's fantastic but um if we had tried to go out there during the night then there are no lights like there's nothing in oh, in yeah. this section. So we had to film it during the day and then cover some of the natural like 
like there's a window at the top of the dome to let light in mm-hmm. um, to do our own lighting. But all I could think is, oh, my God, if I were out here in the middle of the freaking desert, like it's it's scary. Yeah. It really just is. Yeah. Like no. the darkness Absolutely. everywhere. And but the reason why I bring that up is that like as far as location scouting, just us driving from our base camp location of the house that we filmed to mm-hmm. drive out into the middle of the desert, she had to draw a treasure map. <gasps> I'm not joking. I love that. I'm sorry. Like, okay, you're going to be on this one long stretch of road in the middle of the desert, and there's nothing on either side of you, but you're going to see a sign that says this. But if you miss the sign, you're going to miss everything. And then you have oh to God. take another road yes. further into yes. the desert. Yes. And there's like, take a left. And I thank God I had one of my producers because it was like, buddy, I, I'm worse than Heather at reading a fucking map. I yes. Like- no, it's fine. I, I love this, but I can only be so erect by how fucking wild this situation is. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I love this kind of stuff. Middle um, of the of yeah. the, of nowhere desert. And yeah. If all I genuinely was just like, fuck, man, like location scouting is scary enough until you add in the fact that you're there's nothing around you if you get lost. Well, and and I love this as well, because we kind of touched on it a little bit, but there's this beautiful arrogance in this film as an American folk horror film, because Mm -hmm. you mention a lot that this is America and people don't get or stay lost in the woods. And Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is not true. <laughs> yeah, all, all I could think was that's uh, that's a lot of confidence for someone speaking before global positioning systems were even on our phones. Like, what oh, are they yeah. talking about? A Nokia? Mm-hmm. This is back when like Tom Tom had to sit as like an actual tiny computer in your car. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Between Jeeves and Tom Tom, like it's just it's a nightmare out there, guys. At this point, yeah. <laughs> And all I could think was, I like, you're in the middle of the freaking woods. Yes, the idea is that if you keep going south, eventually you're going to hit something. Mm -hmm. But that's if whatever whatever you've pissed off in the woods lets you go south. That's also if your compass isn't fucked, you know? Uh, that's kind of another thing is that, you know, we don't know what coffin rock is made out of. I grew up, uh, uh, you know, ascending from an abandoned silver mine at an undisclosed location. So, Mm. (laughs) you know, um, you'd be surprised (laughs) how sometimes as you get into the hills, uh, um, you know, you can really start to, to really be aware of the things that are in the earth uh, as well as above it. Um, and that uh, kind of, you know, can I tell you a funny story about, I, yes, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a funny story about, um, uh, about compasses. I, as a child, I just did not under understand the concept of a compass because, you know, they hand you a tiny little compass in like, uh, like brownies or Girl Scouts or whatever. Mm-hmm. I didn't do either of those. I did, um, a, a now, slightly um less appreciated one called Indian Princess because uh, it was uh, yes. you know it was like cultural appropriation yum, 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 yum. Uh, but, you know you're yeah. you're nine and you don't quite get that. No um, of course. <laughs> yeah. So uh I was given my first little compass and they said the compass always points north. Right? Right. The compass always points north. I misunderstood that 
as wherever I am, if I'm holding the compass, oh I'm God. pointing north. Woof. Yeah, you are worse than Heather. <laughs> I'm, I'm worse than Heather. So I'm so I'm sorry. Like, okay. <laughs> And also in like it years later, looking back at that, I'm like, wow, did I really think I was the center of the universe that wherever I was, I was pointing north. Oh, my God. But <laughs> I just, you know, I misunderstood. If you're holding the compass, the compass points north. So I am pointing north. No, I you see. Here's the thing. I love that. And this is part of one of the several very many different reasons why I actually started this podcast um, is that when I do choose to emerge from my woods and, and go out and socialize and, and meet <laughs> around me, um, what I find very fascinating is the difference in lifestyle that I had growing up in the middle of nowhere versus a lot of the people who I come across, because it is little mm -hmm. things like that were just that was that was second nature. That was just something that you learned how to do. You learned that you learned how to cut down wood. You learned how to make sure, you know, if the water around you was okay to drink, mm -hmm. um, you know, you learned all these tiny survival skills is I think kind of the best way I could put it is the kind mm -hmm. of survival skills that you could put in a picnic basket to go to grandma's with. Right. <laughs> um, and it's so wild to me that, that, that is a very exclusive experience. I did not realize how much of the rest of America was not experiencing these, you know, kind of like basic tools that just like I, I known how to do since I was a kid. And so I love hearing stories like this because like, yeah, you had oh, yeah. to up for a program to do this and it was still, I don't think it's just you. I feel like somebody should have pointed it out to you sooner. <laughs> well, I, I, they probably, here's the thing. When I do incredibly stupid things, I do it with such a sincerity that <laughs> people assume that I'm doing a bit. That's entirely fair as, as both a friend and someone who has met you. <laughs> it, exactly. It, it's like, no, I'm being 1000% serious, but everyone's like, Cassie, you're such a joker. No, I just literally don't know what the fuck I'm doing. No, I <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. None of us know what the fuck we're doing, which is kind of like where they, they end up kind of with this film because they, yeah. The book of this film is really about watching three young people who who you know the fights don't divulge into to incredible violence or into something like sexually weird like you know that you would kind of be seeing in the approaching aughts period right um, with filmmaking you know this film is still a few years before the big like post 9-11 boom where we started to see films like saw and hostile and kind yeah. of more about like surviving people and surviving torture and and kind of upping the ante on stuff like that that we would see going into these aughts films you know like uh, the remake of texas chainsaw massacre or exactly yeah it, yeah this movie came out in this not like not like a sweet spot necessarily but it, it was it was like it's post cold war fear yes and so because that that belonged to our parents mm -hmm. and um like literally the cold war ended in like early 1990s which is crazy to think about that we were technically alive for that correct <laughs> so like the fear of nuclear fear is is gone and so we're not 
we're not necessarily like terrified for our lives from an outside force from like another country at this time. No. And we're, we're coming off of the nihilism of the nineties as well. Exactly. And so what we end up with are these very American stories, like, like scream and like, and scream is obviously deconstructing, um, narratives from the decades before and so it it's like but that is an incredibly american movie well and i love that you're using the term deconstructing here because that's kind of what we start to see as all of these characters is like heather and especially like mike starts to lose patience with each other and they all break down and they revert if we can kind of see all of the stages of grief i don't think it's actually all of them but you can see how these different characters you know uh, um for heather it's because she's so demanding and controlling it's very much so like you guys are lying to me you guys are lying to me just show me mm-hmm. that i'll feel better you know josh is laid back until the minute he has a tiny mental breakdown and all he wants is a cigarette in the world i know so i about it josh <laughs> I, I always felt like not that any of them necessarily deserve to be punished, but because that's always the question of like who deserves to be punished in a horror movie. Yeah. But like of the three, Josh, I think, gets it the worst and he is the least terrible <laughs> that is- not that any of them are terrible but josh is just like hey man i'm just here to do a job i just want a cigarette i have to get back to work and now he's missing teeth and a shirt and some bones and you're yeah. like well this sucks this sucks for josh josh <laughs> Correct. And oh oh god, how human it is when Josh is like, "Why is there slime on my stuff?" Oh my god, yeah. Well, and that's just it. Is that for a moment they kind of are mentally, internally terrorized. Like literally, it comes down to why is it me? Why is this happening to me? And um, you know, this is definitely, definitely something that I think is so incredibly uh, personal and important with folk horror, which is the Mm -hmm. notion of community. It's, you know, they lose patience with each other. They break down and they revert to this simple honesty with each other out of exhaustion, frustration, and this like rising dread. Like one of my favorite scenes in this film actually is when Heather is stitching those pants. And why are you doing this? They're just going to get destroyed again. And it's and she says the smallest comforts can be good. In these moments where like they've kind of hit this point where they're like, we, we don't really know what to do. We're just walking around. We're just hoping, you know, exactly. that will find us, that we will find something. The conversation doesn't come up of what are we going to do if we have to camp out for a while? That's like not even in their mind. You know, all they want to do is is have these small comforts. You know, they, they talk about what food they could have and it's mom's mashed potatoes. Um, yeah. And oh God, the, just the sweet moment of, uh, who wants a cheese? Who wants a who wants a cheeseburger? I do. I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so sweet and sad. <laughs> Absolutely. Ah, oh, another favorite question. What do you do on a Sunday? What a lovely question. <laughs> what is a simple, <laughs> lovely, just almost again like that kind of you see that harken back to you know again the the pioneers and settlers who first come to the country and after mm-hmm. all of the absolutely awful genocide that they proceed to you know do um yep lots, you know, lots when, of that going around you bet uh american folk horror we always kind of have to take with a grain of salt because oftentimes we're we're concentrating on such puritanical views that we don't get to see these other sides um mm-hmm. but we hear 
on folksy fully recognize that the indigenous populations oftentimes get screwed off off screen in these films (laughs) sometimes on screen we'll talk about those movies later um but uh but yeah you know part of what makes those moments so powerful is that you know these characters are simple complex universal and and you really get into this movie and and you know what it is to get into this movie nowadays um and not just you know do the the oh it's blurry footage oh it's found footage oh is this really scary i think to really get into this movie nowadays you need to approach it with a certain amount of empathy for these characters i i fully agree i know we we talked a little bit about um, what you said earlier, the sort of nihilism of the 90s. And I yeah. think when this movie first came out, people were not sympathetic at all Yeah, to yeah. any of the characters. But uh, I think towards the end, they were. But I think Heather specifically, people had very little sympathy for. And I think a lot of it actually was tinged in really intense misogyny. I do not disagree, yeah. but I will, I will, um, I will add something onto that because yeah. I think that, I mean, we got to talk about the most iconic scene in this film, Heather's film oh, yeah. message. So effective. Even years later, you're just like, so oh, effective. And was, and because it was in the trailer, and used as that soundbite, that scene became like the iconic parody that would haunt found footage film <laughs> for the rest of their days, which I think is a disservice to how good the actual monologue is. <laughs> Dude, she, she, it's really amazing. And I like rewatching it. I, she doesn't blink. No, no, it's full scream to uh, 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 Mommy Dearest. Like she, she does not blink. Um, and, she gives this beautiful speech about that's kind of like going down with the ship with great yeah. and dignity and like our lady of being brave enough to take the selfie from the worst angle imaginable. Like that alone makes her. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think in that moment, like, is this, is this our first selfie on, uh, on oh my God. in a movie? But at the same time, like there's no vanity left. No, not there's no vanity. There's no pretense because, you know, when we first see her before they go into the woods for the first time, she's like putting on her lipstick, you know, they she wants to look cute because she's going to be on camera. That makes sense. And then it just ends with her, you know, nostril shot crying into the camera there. There's there's absolutely no pretense of. I of like this is who I am pretending to be. It's like this is the baseline of humanity. Oh yeah. Like I I'm regretful for what I've done. Mm-hmm. I accept the consequences of my actions and I am so sorry. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I I mean, you know, this crying is hard for me because of the Botox, but like my face was twitching like it <laughs> wanted to if it was able to anymore. <laughs> during this in a way that just I was not expecting on on yeah yeah Yeah. I I felt so much more sympathy I think the first time I watched it I I was probably at a friend's house it was probably like late middle school early high school it's the scene it's the scene from the trailer (laughs) it's the scene from the trailer and so like you know you're scared watching the movie but also you're you're just like, oh, I just want to know what happens. And I don't think I cared as much about like what happened to the characters once I found out that they weren't actually dead. Yeah. 
Like, if I thought that these were all real people and they had died, then I probably would have cried the whole movie. Yeah. But, like, revisiting it as an adult and just being like, oh, my God, these are kids. These are kids lost in the woods. And, yeah, I I had such an upspring of of sympathy for for Heather and, and for all of them. Absolutely. Ah, hashtag justice for Heather. She just wanted to make a movie and had the worst group for her project. (laughs) I think we've all been that type A gal who like had to work with two guys who are, again, like one of them is just massively impatient and the other one is just like, (laughs) it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And you're just like, no. (laughs) Are you like this? (laughs) Yeah. Her being like, get the camera. And, and I, I, I think people wanted to see Heather get punished because she cared so much about making the movie. Well, she takes on that female director persona that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, you know, you, you have to be, I mean, I'm sure working on a film, you work predominantly with women on screen therapy, which is so fortunate. <laughs> um, yeah. My cat, I mean, our crew was, was non-existent. We, um, yeah. we really had like a crew of, uh, we had our cinematographer and then a second camera mm-hmm. and that was pretty much and in a first AD. Um, and so a Kate, like we had actors holding, Oh, and a sound guy, obviously you can't have movie without a sound guy, but like, Mike definitely lets us know that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, like I, I was surrounded with women in that production, which was nice because, uh, every now and then you just have to look at another woman and be like, help. And she's like, take a break, girl. That's and, great. You know, it's it, it was a very supportive um, filmmaking experience it, with all of the dudes as well. But like, you know, it's it's good just to have well, probably pops around. And I definitely think that you you hit the nail on the head, which is that we were about to enter this time, kind of even with all the different aughts movies that we just talked about, mm-hmm. you know, um, where where we were trying but not well, you know, we were kind of throwing paint at canvas to um, to see, you know, again, like we had gay characters, but we would drop the f bomb all the time in movies, you know, like sure. stuff like that. Uh, um, you know, and, and female characters, I think now as we're finally starting to revisit this aughts period, we, we are starting to look at like what we were doing to characters like, you know, uh, uh, just tank top, um, tank top final girls, I think is like the term nowadays. Right. For yeah, 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 yeah. Where originally they were just kind of seen as like these sexy things, but they weren't Nancy, they weren't Sydney, they weren't, you know, these, these very easy to grasp formulated final girls of they have a problem. They are probably virgins, and and by the end of it, they're the last one. Right. Um, and so, so we're starting to see the complexities of women as people, <laughs> right? <laughs> For lack of a better way of putting it. And so, and so, yeah, it really, it really does create like this wonderful sense of of uh, uh, what you can kind of see coming for them in the end which really stinks because like you said everybody everybody kind of has to die in this bad boy as a filmmaker how do you feel about like the last it's really like I want to say we don't even get to Rustin Parr's house until like the last seven minutes of this movie yeah it's um the the final like the famous famous monologue happens with 10 minutes left in the movie yeah dang shit (laughs) it's like 
so you're building up to to this moment. Yeah. And I think some people were like, well, nothing really happens at the end. And then other people are like, that's the scariest thing I've ever seen. Because. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's, I, I fully agree that like leaving shit up to your imagination when it comes to horror can be like more effective a lot of times than being like, and here's the monster. Yes. I but, agree. Um, yeah. Like the, the final 10 minutes of, like you already know i think that that's also sort of the interesting thing about the movie is they tell you in in the opening like scroll these yeah. people are gone yeah like, absolutely you well, watch how these people died essentially or how they disappeared and so the whole movie you're like oh my god we're just getting closer to how these characters die it's a classic Wicker Man. Uh, um, I, I've talked, yeah, I, I know I talked about this on a, on a previous episode, but yeah, you know, uh, oftentimes, though not every time, because elephants are gray, but not all gray things are elephants, um, sure. you can tell a folk horror film if they set it up from the beginning where you know by the end that that guy's going to end up in a Wicker Man. A really good folk horror film makes you forget that by the end, that guy is going to end up in a Wicker Man. <laughs> right. So, you know, yeah. yeah. This film from the beginning and, and with all of the marketing, with all of the things that kind of go into talking about whether or not this film was real is, is the Wicker Man real? Or in this case, is the Blair Witch real? Which is right. what makes it so cool. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it, I think it sort of has the opposite of like, you know, if, if we're going to go back to like theater talk, like Brechtian, the, the idea of like that Brechtian, um, well, you you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, it, it was supposed yeah. to be a distance between the audience and the story, yeah. So yeah. that people would like have an intellectual response. If you look at Mother Courage and her children at the beginning of each chapter, they're like, in this uh, of each like scene or act of the play, they're like, in this act, George dies or whatever, and you're <laughs> like, oh, oh shit, okay. Yeah. So you go in knowing that George dies. And Brecht wanted to do that so that you could emotionally take yourself out of it and just like watch it from an intellectual perspective. And I have the opposite. And I feel I so I don't I don't think anyone had the sort of response that Brecht wanted. Because if you set me up with a story that says, hi, here are these nice three people and they're going to die at the end of this movie. I'm like, yeah. oh, man. And. So even when they're yelling at each other and like screaming and being really mean, I just am like, oh, it's just because you're scared because you're going to die. But you don't know that. <laughs> yeah. It's again, it, it use it weaponizes empathy for its audience Absolutely. in that way. Yeah. Like yeah. my heart, my heart goes out to them even when they're being like the shittiest, worst versions of themselves, because I'm like, oh, you know, you, you can't help it. You're about to die in the woods. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, that, that goes back to this notion of like, none of us really know how we would act out there. You know, no. we had these glimpses, these moments, but you know, you're still here. I'm still here. Others are still here and some are not. Uh, and that I, is I would be the worst version of myself. I, I know for a fact, if I got lost in the woods, like, holy shit, I would, I would be horrible. 
That is fair. I do very well lost in the woods, uh, uh, just because that is where my survival instincts kick in. Um, but that being said, <laughs> let's not get lost in the woods because I don't want to put them to the test. No, well, no, not at all. No, thank no. you. Well, Mel, I don't really have to worry about that because you can't die in the woods if you don't go in the woods. And no. uh, I, I like my apartment just fine. That is totally fair. I can understand that completely. Well, thank you for venturing into mine. Of course. <laughs> yeah, this this is a special exception. No, I appreciate it. It's fine. Uh, uh, so so what do you say? Do you think that this film qualifies as a folk horror film? Would you put it inside of a Wicker Man to sacrifice it to greater movie gods? I I think this movie definitely is a folk horror film. Excellent. I, but um, but it it's it's very, what I think is really interesting is that um, sort of what we were touching on earlier is that it is such an American story. Yeah. yeah. Like. It's not about witches per se. Like, you know, I think right. when we think of American folk horror now, we think like the Vivich, because I always have to say it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, in, in some of the more modern stuff with revival work, but, you know, being lost at sea, being lost in the woods, you know, mm. uh, uh being lost in your own home, you know, all yeah. different things are very, very American because of the way that we've liked to, that we are both pioneers and isolationists at the same time. Exactly. Um, but that also because, you know, we are, our, our country, sure, compared to other countries is still quite young. But when you look at these small, small towns, like, you know, in Burkittsville in the movie. Yeah. There's so much history because so much has happened in this small area. Yeah. And everybody knows about it. And so it's sort of the folk horror-ness of it is that outsiders come in and they're like, we want to learn about what what's out there. But then they don't necessarily respect or believe it. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. They don't want to learn. They want to take they yeah, take what's out there exactly, and that that's one thing that I that I found interesting. I know that the original cut that was um, shown at the 1999 Sundance was two and a half hours long. Really, I did not know that. That's so cool. Yes, the OG cut two and a half hours long, and then what ended up being released is the oh, hour, hour. Yeah, uh, yeah. So they cut out a full hour of footage. And I've always wondered if one of the things that they cut out is a moment when it's during one of like the huge blowout fights where I can't remember if it's Josh or Will yelling at Heather mm -hmm. and, and they're like, you know, we, we came out here, we found all these weird stick stick figures. You took one. Oh, uh, says you took one and we don't see that happen. I kind of dig that we don't see that happen, though. I kind of that we don't see it happen. And then there's also the moment where Mike accidentally knocks over one of the seven um, piles of stones. And so it's like, all right, the Blair Witch doesn't start fucking with them until after these two things have happened he kicks that he kicks them over which it it, it is an accident but mm -hmm. still yeah. and then she apparently even though we never see it takes one of the figures interesting and so that 
it's exactly what you were saying is that they they went out there because they wanted to capture a story. They wanted to tell a story, but really they wanted to kind of take what, you know, uh, this uh, take a cultural thing from this small area and it, not necessarily to exploit it. I we we can assume that they want to exploit it. But I mean, it's it's a it's a film student group. Well, and I think that that's kind of it, it does tell something about the exploitative nature of documentary. I think mm. really really interesting because you know documentary is both so vital and so important to the fabric of filmmaking, right. but is very secular. And there are times where things are done in the name of documentary that probably shouldn't be. Um, yeah. You know, I always think of that Jacques Cousteau movie that is not allowed to be released in the United States. Um, uh, the Silent Deep, that's the one where basically there's like whole scenes of him like throwing dynamite into the water and blowing up fish to see them rise to the surface and identify them. Um, <laughs> very real movie. Not Gusto. What's going on? Oh, there's a really horrible scene where like he stabs a puffer fish. I will not get into it, but no, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, again, and it's all in the name of, exp of exploration. Or, you know, look at films like Cannibal Holocaust, where, where you know, like, I mean, obviously there's a lot that goes into the history of, of that movie when it, we're right. talking about quote unquote found footage, when we're talking about what you can and can't get away with um, when you are filming something. You know, there's a list a mile long um, with that movie of, of stuff that is very morally questionable. But overall, you know, this this film, I, I think much like we talked about in the beginning, this film elevates folk horror mm -hmm. in an interesting way it's part of it is because it is so american part of it is because it's so still universal despite that um you know it's it's actually a very caring piece again because a lot of empathy is involved in needing to find the terror in it like you said with with the notion of some people thought the ending was scary some people didn't fear is subjective mm -hmm. and and we were about to enter this era of questioning you know, how much can we take, you know, fear-wise, pain-wise, right. all of that. And in many ways, we still kind of demand that from ourselves as uh, as film viewers. You know, we need to to guess the ending. Uh, yeah, and I I mean, I, I love, I love spooky walkthroughs. I love, like, you know, horror shit that really pushes, I, I, I can never do McKamey Manor, but like, I I've done I've done some pretty intense horror walkthrough stuff. And then at the end, you know, people are like, why? Why do you do that? And you're like, I just I, I need to be terrified while also knowing that I'm safe. It's fun to be scared going it's back fun to be scared. Yeah. Going back to the most ancient fairy tales of all time that we all used to tell each other to to keep ourselves safe and to keep the generations, you know, coming next safe is we we put a little bit of fear in with a little bit of morality and a dash of fun. And that's how we get beautiful folk horror. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, Cassie, where can people experience Scream Therapy currently? Um, currently, we are still, uh, we are still sort of, attempting a festival run um and so we're we're i say attempting because we're waiting to hear from uh some of the bigger genre festivals that happen at the end of the year and um yeah so currently uh we don't have anywhere for you to watch it but we um hopefully will be released uh 
worldwide um, early 2024. Amazing. That's absolutely incredible. Well, how can people find you on social media so they can experience this journey with you and with Scream Therapy? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Oh my God. What is, I have to literally look at my, ins- I never remember my. Girl, you are kiss my Cassie K. <laughs> oh, that's, me. that's me. Okay. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at <laughs> my Cassie K. Uh, you can find me online. Um, my website is Cassie Um, yeah, that that's pretty much it. Uh, I I'm on Twitter, but I don't tweet much. And I, I'm not going to call it X because that's dumb. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Well, thank you so much, Cassie, for joining us here, for joining me here in my woods, and for all of you listening at home. Stay folksy, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>